Let's take our Bibles again, go back to John 15, where we were a moment ago. We took a few minutes and read through this passage of Scripture that we're using as a foundation for our theme for the year. And, uh, you know, as we were, as I was praying about um, our theme for the year, I'll, I'll just say at the outset, it's not like I intend on structuring everything around the theme or the preaching all the, you know throughout the year or anything like that but uh, but one of the things that I have been praying about is what would the Lord have us to really focus on what aspect of uh, the Christian life and obedience to him uh, is is really important and obviously there are plenty of things that we could talk about but uh, this theme of abiding in Christ really I believe uh, is it is a foundational truth to living a successful Christian life. And when I talk about a successful Christian life, I hope that you understand that I'm not talking about success according to the world's definition. Um, there's nothing wrong with, for instance, being successful in business. That's, that's a positive thing. That's a, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with being successful financially. But when we talk about being successful in our spiritual life, in our Christian life, we're really talking about things that are so much bigger and so much higher and of so much greater importance than just earthly things. We're talking about being successful in terms of God's will for our lives and being obedient to it. I'm thankful for the Sunday school lesson that we heard this morning that was very practical in regard to... Uh, setting goals and, 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 and striving to grow in some areas and there were some good truths in there but one of the things that was brought out is that the definition of success from a Christian standpoint is really knowing and doing God's will and, and I hope you understand that as a child of God God has a purpose for your life uh, He has something that He wants for you and that's true of every one of us who know the Lord as our Savior. He has something that is specifically designed for you to accomplish for Him. And it doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or if you're 80 years old or somewhere in between. And, and I know sometimes feel, people feel like they have limitations, but the reality is that we all have limitation because in order to accomplish that which God wants us to accomplish, we have no strength or ability to do that ourselves. And so this idea, this concept of abiding in Christ, it, it, it really is a common thread throughout the Bible, and it's one that we find especially in the New Testament, not always worded in the same way, but the concept and the idea that we need God in order to live in accordance with His will for us. We need His help. We need His grace, we need His strengthening, we need His empowerment to be able to do that. And so uh, throughout the, the course of this year, there will be times that we reference and, and recall uh, some of these truths that we're going to talk about today and maybe in coming weeks. And I just want, want to encourage everyone to really drill down a little bit and, and consider what does it mean to abide in Christ and how can I do that? in my life. And so uh, we're, we're in John 15, and I know I already read this for you, 
But I, but I want you to notice in verse number one where he says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. We have, have to understand here that Jesus, of course, is speaking in a, uh, in a, meta, in, in a metaphor. He's, uh, he's using an illustration in order to describe a spiritual truth. Now, if you grew up around a vineyard, there are some things that you would probably instinctively know that some of us who don't have those same experiences have to really consider and think about here. But Jesus was speaking to people who would have been very familiar with a vineyard and how that worked. And probably many of these disciples at some time or another, maybe in their uh, younger life or teenage years, may have helped a, a neighbor or someone who was a, a, a husbandman, one who uh, had a vineyard and and uh, they would have worked in there and seen how these things worked. And so Jesus is using this illustration, this example. And he says, just like a vineyard works, this is how I want you in this moment to view your Christian life. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. In other words, Jesus is the source from which everything flows. And the Father, God the Father, is the one that is the keeper of the vineyard. He is the one who determines what the vineyard is to do <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and make decisions uh, in that vineyard. And then he says in verse number 2, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Go down to verse number 8, if you will. And it says here, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Look at verse 16, if you would. And we haven't read this yet. But Jesus here says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that... Ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And so within this illustration, as Jesus is talking, he really uh, brings up what I would call our calling, the reason for which we have been saved. It is that we would bear fruit. I want you to know that if uh, there, there has never been uh, someone who owns a piece of land and says, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to plant a vineyard. And I'm going to go to the work of, uh, of tilling the soil and planting the seed and letting those vines begin to grow. And I'm going to build the, I don't even know what they'd be called, but the structures there that the vines grow up on uh, where the branches and the leaves hang down. And, and I'm going to go to all of this work. And plant this vineyard. And then throughout the, 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 the growing season, I'm going to weed that vineyard. And I'm going to trim the branches of that vineyard. And I'm going to work and labor in that vineyard with the express purpose of not getting a single grape. Has there ever been a husbandman or a vineyard keeper who has had that intention and that desire? The answer would be no, unless he was insane, right? 
Because the work that you would put into planting and tending a vineyard has a purpose, does it not? The idea is that there would come a day where there would be a harvest. That, that you could go in there and, and reap the rewards of your labor and your effort. You want to be able to go to that vineyard and pick those grapes and, 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 and receive that which your hands have labored for. There is a purpose. And, and what Jesus is saying here is that just like any husbandman, any vineyard keeper has an expectation in his vineyard, God the Father has an expectation in your life and in my life that we would be producing spiritual fruit. I believe that it is a sad reality that many people have come to an understanding of the gospel, have received Christ as their Lord and Savior, but are content to go on living life with very little, if any, spiritual production. I believe that the reason that that is sad is because the one who paid the ultimate price for us is expecting fruit for his labors. Now I am not saying, please don't misunderstand me, I am not saying that it is uh, somehow our responsibility to, to work and labor in order that we might find favor with God. But what I am saying is this, that God has done so much for us and to bring us to where we are in our spiritual life, that we have been saved, we have been delivered from our sin, we have been forgiven, we have a relationship with God, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we have gifts that come from the Spirit of God. He has done so much for us that it would be a total waste, would it not? For my life to never bear fruit for His glory. We have been called for a purpose, that, that our life would be successful for the Lord. Now this is, a, this is again a time of year, and we heard it in Sunday school, where many people really evaluate their success in life. Do they not? How am I doing in my just in life in general, every I think the end of the year or the beginning of the year is kind of a, 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 a recalibration time for many people. And I think that's a good thing. It's a, it's a healthy thing where people kind of you know, look within and say, okay, what are some things about my life that I don't like and I want to see different and how can I change those things? But as that is taking place and people are setting goals that are more in line with the things of this world, I just want to take a moment and stop here and say, Christian, how are you doing in your success, spiritually speaking? As you look back on your life since salvation, what are some areas that God, this master vineyard keeper, vine dresser, husbandman, has pruned out of your life? What are some things that were dead branches, if I can put it that way, 
where God looked at that and said, this is an area that is not pleasing to me, and you have allowed the Lord to prune those things out of your life that you may bear fruit for him. Have you seen growth? Have you seen change? Have you seen victory, spiritually speaking? Victory over sin and, and, and a closer walk with the Lord and, 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 and opportunities to serve God. Have you seen that from the time of salvation until now? I went, uh, I went to a, earlier this year, we were trying to do some planting of some things around our property and the thing is because of uh, just the timing of when we were able to buy our house and and get moved in and those kinds of things uh, it, it ended up being that we were late in actually getting anything planted and most everything that we planted we got in the in the dirt uh, a few days maybe a day or two before we got some really extreme heat you know, high, high 90s and really intense sun and that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you, we did not have a successful year when it came to uh, uh, growth. Our garden was pitiful. But one of the things that I did is I thought, you know, I'm going to take advantage of it, you know, this being kind of late in the season. I'm going to go to, I went to a, a greenhouse and I bought some plants at a very discounted rate because of the time of year. And I thought, this is going to be great. Well, one of the things that I bought was a pear tree. I thought, I'm going to buy this pear tree. I want, you know, I want something that, you know, maybe in a few years we can get some pears. And so I bought this pear tree. And I am telling you, if any of you have ever seen uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you remember the Christmas tree? That thing looked full and flourishing compared to this pear tree, okay? This pear tree was like there was the bulb and a stick sticking up out of it that I think if I would have just, you know, just bent it a little bit, it would have snapped right off. I mean, this thing looked deader than a doornail. But I thought, I'm no expert. They're still selling this thing, so it must be good, right? So I talked, I even talked to the people there, and I said, you know, there's no way that this thing's actually going to come to life, is it? Oh, yeah, you put that thing in the ground and just make sure it's got enough water and you'll see that thing will just start, you'll see buds coming off of it pretty soon. And let me just tell you, I'm not going, I'm not here to criticize, but that person that told me that doesn't have a clue and needs to find a different job because I got that thing in the ground and I watered it and it never did anything and then I think one day we got a stiff wind or something and it broke over and so I have the roots of a pear tree in my yard <laughs> but nothing has ever come of it now listen sadly I think a lot of people's spiritual life is like that they would tell you that they are saved that they are a child of God but friend let me let me just say this and as kindly as I can if there has never been any evidence that there is any life there spiritually you need to really evaluate am I really a child of God have I really been planted now if you have and you say you know what there was a time I remember when I got saved and 
some things began to change. And, and I mean, my desires, the things that, 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 I mean, God just started to work in my life. And, and I started to get some victory over some things. And it was like I could start seeing those buds coming to fruition. You know, some leaves started to come out of my I know that there is life there. However, sadly, so many people, when they talk about anything that God has done in their life, it's like looking back somewhere way in the distance. I want to tell you, that is not God's will for you. It's not God's plan or purpose to come to his vineyard and see a bunch of dead branches that used to produce fruit. God's desire for you and for me is that we would be bearing fruit on a continual basis. That regularly the Lord would come in and be able to have the freedom to look at our life and, and maybe look at my life and say, Brian, here's something that used to be maybe profitable, but this is an area of your life that has really grown cold and it's kind of dead and it's not, it's not producing like it used to. I'm going to trim this off of here so that something new can begin to grow. I mean, God does this, does he not? Because he desires that we would be fruitful. This is our calling, that, that, that our life would be pleasing to the Lord. We are called to bear fruit and to have success. And so uh, along with this, then he gives this concept of, of it, it is a vineyard. That, that's our calling. We're in this vineyard to produce fruit. But here's the concept. He says, you're in the vineyard, but the vine that's actually planted... That's me. I am the true vine. What you are is you are a branch. You're a branch that comes off the vine. And if he is the vine and we are the branches, here's one thing we can know. Our success rises and falls entirely upon how healthy our attachment is to the vine. Your success spiritually absolutely rises and falls on your daily relationship with God. Jesus said here in verse number four, abide in me and I in you. And he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. In the same way that a branch is useless without the vine. And again, you may not be real familiar with a vineyard, but this concept is pretty clear, right? Uh, if you cut a, a, a limb off of a tree, within a few days, the leaves of that branch are going to wither and die, right? Because it wasn't the branch that produced the leaves. The leaves grew on the branch, but they only grew there because that branch was connected to the tree. And the tree is what supplied it with water and nutrients and food and the ability uh, to, to, to grow. And Jesus is saying in the same way, your spiritual success is totally dependent on abiding in me and remaining in me. If you were to cut yourself off, you could not produce fruit. Now, we understand, folks, that we're not talking about someone not being in Christ anymore, not being saved anymore. But I do want you to know that there, 
there are many, many Christians who know the Lord, who have been saved, but have not yet learned what it means to abide in Him. And so this concept is this, in the same way that a branch cannot produce fruit of its own accord, you and I have no ability to produce fruit of our own accord. And, and I think this is important, <clears throat> even again, just kind of going off of some of the things that were talked about in Sunday school, it's one thing to look at your life and say, you know what, here are some areas that need to change, and then in our own mind we say, I am going to change these things. I'm going to fix this. And you know what happens, especially for a Christian who just determines in his heart of hearts that he is going to change. And he goes about in his very best efforts to do better this time and next time. The person who does that, there is a 100% failure rate. That may sound strange. But let me tell you why. Because you and I have no ability in and of ourselves to change things spiritually. I can say, let me get better at loving God. I'm going to try harder to love God. Or I can say, I'm going to get better at winning souls. And I'm going to just do my very best. Or this particular sinful habit that I've struggled with for years and years, once and for all, I'm going to drum up enough willpower to overcome this thing. And I want you to know that none of those things are going to happen as a result of our own efforts. We think that we can do it ourselves, but we can't. Many people believe that their struggles with sin, their lack of spiritual desire, their continual failings, and even the discouragement that they face on a regular basis is a problem of a lack of willpower and commitment and discipline. Biblically speaking, however, this is not the case. The problem with sin, uh, bondage to sin, the problem with, with uh, uh, a cold, apathetic attitude toward the things of God, the problem in our spiritual life is not a physical problem, and it is not a fleshly problem, it is a spiritual problem. And Jesus said in John chapter 6, the, the, it is the spirit that quickeneth, or gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 6, it says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. In my own strength, in my own abilities, you know, okay, it's 2023. And I set this goal in last January and the January before that and the January before that. But this time, I really mean it. I'm really determined. I'm going to fix this spiritual issue in my life. Friend, that is not the solution. In the flesh, you cannot please God. Again, I'm not against setting goals and 
taking stock and evaluating. But I want you to know that what you really need is not to tap into your discipline, your determination, your willpower. What you need is to tap into God. And you need Him to work in you and through you to change you and make you what you need to be. I want you to go with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. And he says something that I think a lot of times, maybe many of us can even quote this, but I think we gloss over it and fail to really recognize exactly what the Lord is telling us here. In Galatians 5, in verse number 16, I want you to notice what he says. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, he doesn't say, walk in the Spirit and you will do better at overcoming the flesh. He said, if you are walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Verse 17, he says, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Cannot. Now listen. On this side, not this side of the room, but I'm just the illustration, okay? Right here, let's just say this is, this is the side of my flesh. When I am walking in my flesh, it is not that I am not very good at the things of the Spirit. It is that I cannot do the things that are pleasing to God. I can't. Because my flesh is contrary to my spirit. To God's spirit. And, and as long as I am walking in the flesh, I cannot fulfill the will of God for my life. Can't. No matter how hard I try. Now, if I come over here and on this side, I am walking in the spirit. The opposite is also true. Walking in the spirit, I can't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because these things are contrary. Now think about this with me for a moment if you would. That tells us some things, doesn't it? That means every time that I fail and I sin, I am walking in the flesh. I mean, I might even think that I'm doing good and walking in the Spirit and abiding in Christ. But if I sin, that is absolute proof that I am in the flesh. Because God said if I'm walking in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, so every time I sin, every time I displease the Lord, it is because I was walking in the flesh. But then again, what is the other side of that coin? The answer to my problem is not to stay here in the flesh and work hard to fix the problem. The answer is to get out of the flesh and come over here and start walking in the Spirit. And if I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm walking in victory. I'm walking in the abundant Christian life. Now here's the thing, friend. This is not something where you say, okay, I'm going to make a decision today, and for the rest of my life, I will walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. This is literally a moment-by-moment -moment decision. There is a war that is taking place in our members, the Bible says, in our body, 
there is a war that's taking place. And the war is this. Am I going to do that which is right in my own eyes? That which feels good to me? That which I think is best? Or am I going to do what the Lord is leading me to do? By His Word and through His Spirit. As He guides me and leads me. I told you earlier that this is a principle, it's a concept that is all throughout the Bible. We see it most evidently in the New Testament. Of course, it's New Testament truth in a sense because only New Testament Christians have the Spirit of God living within us, right? However, even in the Old Testament, we find this reality to be true. Let me quote to you some verses that I'm sure you're familiar with. From the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 3. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy path. That's exactly what this is saying, right? If you are... Trusting in the Lord with all your heart and in all your ways you are acknowledging Him. You know what that sounds an awful lot like? Abiding in Christ. That means I am going to give God preeminence and authority and the right to be Lord of all in my life over everything. Not just the, you know, big issues of life. Who I marry and where I live and where I go to church and what do I do for a career. Yes, God needs to be in control of those things. But it also means that I am letting him be Lord over the words that are coming out of my mouth. And I'm going to let him be Lord over the thoughts that I allow in my life. And I'm going to let him be Lord in the decisions that I make on a daily basis. Even things that seemingly are insignificant. What am I going to wear today? What am I going to eat today? Uh, Who am I going to spend time with? Where am I going to go? Where are we going to go on our vacation? What am I going to do when I get off of work this afternoon? All of these decisions ought to be filtered through, God, what is your will for me? Lead me, guide me, help me. Because if I do this in my own wisdom, in my own strength, in my own abilities, I am no different than a dead branch hanging off a vine. Spiritually worthless and useless. But if I will abide in Christ. Walk in his spirit. I will bring forth fruit. Not of myself. But of him. We're in Galatians. Go back a page or two. to Chapter two. Galatians 2, verse number 20. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I died, but I'm still alive, right? Then he says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Stop there for a second and consider this. Paul is saying, when I got saved, 
I died with him. And I was resurrected with him. But the life that I have now, the life that I live now is not me living. It is Christ living in me. Have you ever stopped to consider that God's desire for you is that you would be yielded to him in such a way that your hands are actually an extension of God's hands? That your mouth is simply God's vessel through which he can speak? That, that, that everything that you do is... What does the Bible say in the book of Romans? That we are not to yield our members, our body, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but we are to yield ourselves unto God as instruments of righteousness unto God. Lord, here is your body that you have purchased, your temple, the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? Use this body for your glory. Work through me in such a way that it is no longer I who am living, but it is Christ who is living through me. Help me to be so yielded to you that it is not the will of Brian Weiss that is accomplished at the end of the day, that the end of the day or the end of this year, what has been accomplished is the will of Almighty God through me. He said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I'm still alive in the flesh, my body is still alive, but the life that I'm living, he says, I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm living by faith. Listen, living by faith doesn't mean simply, ah, I'll trust God with the outcome. That's a good thing, but there's more to it than that. Did you know that faith and obedience are absolutely linked? Faith and obedience are linked. It's one thing to say, I believe God, but the proof that you believe God is in your actions, isn't it? James tells us that faith without works is dead, being alone. If we say we believe something, but we don't live it, it's, it's empty. And so to live by faith is more than just saying, I'm going to trust God with the outcome. Living by faith says, I'm going to believe God for everything he says, and I'm going to live my life in accordance to what God has said. I'm living by the faith of the Son of God. Now this is going to require then, in order to know the will of God, that I have to be in fellowship with God, right? I've got to be in fellowship with him. In, in, a, in a spirit of prayer and, and talking to the Lord and having communication. I need to be in the word of God and meditating on his word because he's revealed his will through his word. I have to be in fellowship with him and not have my mind consumed with other things that would distract me from God's will and God's purpose. Jesus said, abide in me. Abide in me. In me, the word abide literally means to remain or to dwell or to rest in. And folks, I believe that as we start off 
this year, and yes, I'm sure we all have some goals. I have some. Uh, we sat around last night as a family and talked about, uh, we, we, <clears throat> I challenged the kids. I said, I want you to name one thing that you did well this last year, one thing you didn't do real well in, and one thing you're going to do differently in the coming years. We talked about that. I think, I think those are good things, but listen, more than any of that, we need to get a hold of this truth. I simply need to be in fellowship with God from one moment to the next, walking in the Spirit, walking in prayer, meditating in the Word of God, allowing His Spirit to lead me and guide me and, 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 and direct me in the decisions that I am to make. I need to abide in Him, not just so that I can be a better me, but so that he can receive the fruit that he desires coming out of my life. Because after all, it's his vineyard. My life is his and it's for his glory. And so it really just simply matters what does God want from me.